Welcome to Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. So the series that we're doing is called, When Jesus Spoke to Crowds, What Did He Say? And it's, uh, what we're doing is we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. It's short, it's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, and uh, the first week I encouraged you to read it. I actually encourage you to read it every week. It's short enough, you can do that, and the words uh, begin to, uh, uh, you know, new questions begin to arise, new parts of it begin to stand out to you and challenge you. You start to notice things that you did uh, didn't notice on the first reading or two or three, and I'm still learning new things from it. Um, but it is, uh, it's worth noting that there wasn't exactly a transcript of Jesus speaking. That's not how things worked back then. Writing was expensive. It was slow. There obviously weren't video recordings and voice memos on phones. Instead, what happened was gospel writers like Matthew went around and collected memories. They would say, oh, when Jesus came to your town, what did he say? Uh, and Matthew would record that and then put it together and recreate what that experience was like uh, and shares it with us. And that that's what we're doing. Uh, last week, we uh, heard Jesus' teaching on morality, how to live right. That's something that Christians of some generations have uh, kind of harped on, perhaps a little bit too much. Of course, it's right. It, it is important to live right, but we can also uh, uh, talk about it so much that we miss the rest of what Jesus said. Uh, there are other times where the church has ignored living right uh, with their actions, maybe not with anything else, and it's left a bad taste in the mouth and done a lot of harm. We're going to talk a little about that as we go this morning. Uh, Part of what Jesus said is that it's not just about your actions. It's about what's in your heart too. For instance, excuse me. So for instance, murder is bad. We all know that. But Jesus says, of course murder is bad, but anger is too when you let anger control you. What's in your heart matters, not just your actions. And I think you'll find a connection between that and what Jesus says in today's section. But there's also a connection from the first week. When the very first week we read the the section known as the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and so on, blessed are the peacemakers. And it gives us this picture of what life is supposed to be like, about what God's kingdom is like, about what life will be like, Uh, and there's something right about it. There's something that resonates with us when we hear how the world is supposed to be. But then there's this part about salt and light where it's almost a contradiction. Jesus says we are supposed to be like salt and he doesn't go much into what that means to be salt. It gives flavor, it helps preserve, but salt also disappears into the meat, right? Salt is small, it's tiny, take it with a grain of salt, right? You could barely even see that it's there. But Jesus also says that we are to be a city on the hill. We are to be a lamp that shines into the world. He says, who would light a lamp and put it under a basket? He says, no, let your light shine. And there's a tension inherent in that because how are we supposed to be small and invisible and to absorb into the meat of the world, but also be a city on a hill and a light that shines? And I think learning to navigate the difference between those two is part of the deal. It's part of wisdom. 
And today we move from talking about morality, right actions, to talking about religion. What could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> now, most of the people in this room, I suspect, get it so to speak. You know, and I think we forget that the picture of religion that we see at Trinity is very different from what people outside the church see, what the world sees. Uh, uh, and I think these days, most of what the world sees are scandals in the church. Those of us that are in the church know that there's a big difference between the different denominations, between Catholics and Christians uh, and Episcopalians and Presbyterians. You know, we go on the list, right? We know that there's different, uh, different types of Lutherans in the world. We know that there's different types of Methodists in the world. And all are striving to serve God, but doing it in very different ways. But the world outside the church doesn't necessarily see that. And the scandals of one tend to spread to the other. And it makes us look like we don't really follow those teachings on morality, right? There's other stories that go. This is uh, one that came out, oh, it was about five or six years ago, something like that, of a pastor that had a private jet and was extraordinarily wealthy. You know, is that living the life of Jesus to have a private jet and to be extraordinarily wealthy? You know, part of me has thought to myself, ooh, I'd love to win the lottery. And then I thought, you know what, if I actually won the lottery, I'd probably give it all away. <laughs> now, not that there wouldn't be temptations, of course. I'd like to think I wouldn't slip. But following the way of Jesus doesn't seem as wealthy as, the, uh, I'm, I'm not going to name him because I don't want to judge, but as this one pastor who was in the news five or six years ago. I hate to judge too. Uh, well, yeah. So to many people, what we do appears superstitious at best in the church, right? And at worst, it appears hypocritical. And these are all the highly visible parts of the church, which to the world doesn't always come off looking like a city on a hill, does it? But the small expressions of prayer and the care that changes lives, you know, I oftentimes think about the little conversations that happen on Sunday morning, the moments in hallways uh, that, that every now and then God blesses me to notice a conversation that is really making a difference in someone's life. Or the Sunday school class or the growth group that when you're a part of it fills you with a richness that you know in your gut is a richness that's beyond this world. Or what about the contemplatives among us who pray in silence and in secret, and I know you're out there, and change the world just with their being? You know, those things are harder to see. Those things are harder to see until you've experienced them for yourself. Those sorts of things disappear into the meat. Well, let me read again what Jesus says in today's passage. I'll read the part that uh, uh, Dave read for us earlier, but I'm going to go a little bit further too. Here it is. Be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Whenever you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may get praise from people. I assure you, that is the only reward they'll get. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may give to the poor in secret. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. And he goes on, when you pray, 
don't be like hypocrites. They love, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is present in that secret place. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. I can never read this passage without going back to the first time I read it seriously as a teenager. You know, and I remember wondering, is everything we do in church wrong? Tom, I know you well enough. I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Tom praying up here earlier, was that against what Jesus said? <laughs> you know, this is what I wondered when I was a teenager. I like Tom's response. Mm. <laughs> no, I remember thinking this when I read this as a teenager, right? Is everything that we do in church wrong? And for a little while, I was uncomfortable anytime somebody prayed in church, even though my gut told me there was more nuance to that scripture than just that. And I knew somebody back then who, when they prayed, was very emotional. Now, uh, once again, I don't want to judge them because they may have just been an emotional person. And in fact, I would rather somebody let their, uh, their feelings and their emotions fly during a prayer. I would rather that than somebody hold them in and be totally straight-laced, right? <laughs> uh, and so I'm not judging that person, but it occurred to me that there was a fine line between praying with your heart or praying because you wanted to be seen or praying because you wanted to look all holy, right? And I've been there too. I remember when I was first starting out as a pastor, you know, uh, you, you kind of, we have a lot of retired pastors, maybe, God, I'll point at Tom again, maybe, maybe you'll, maybe you'll uh, have this same experience, but I remember in my first church thinking, oh, I'm supposed to be the holy one here. I'm supposed to be the expert, right? Uh, expert here, right? I'd better pray really, really well. <laughs> and beyond being nervous, there was part of me that wanted to pray in such a way that I looked really holy. And it wasn't to convince everybody else. It was to convince me, right? It was to convince me. You know what that kind of thought is not? It's not directed towards God. It's, it's about me. It's about, it's about us. It's about, it's about anything but God. But prayer is when we direct our attention not to ourselves, but to God. That's the point of it. Now listen to this last verse again, because it blew my mind a couple years ago when I heard somebody talking about it. It's the, it's the one that says this. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. You know, I'd always read that with modern eyes, you know, literally thinking that when I pray, I should go into my room and close the door, right? I, said, I was a teenager living with my parents, so you go in, close the door and pray. That's what it says, right? But then somebody pointed out to me that in the first century, they didn't have houses like we live in today. In fact, their, their, their living uh, situation was much, much different. And in their poverty, all the, the people Jesus spoke to were mostly very, very poor, the Jews uh, under Roman rule. And very, very few of them, uh, only the highly privileged, even had their own room. <laughs> so when Jesus says, go into your room and close the door, Looking at the crowd he was talking to, they didn't have rooms. He must have meant it symbolically. What he must have meant was when you pray, 
shut out the world for a moment. Go into this room, create space around yourself so that you're not distracted by the things of, of the world, by the distractions that are around you. Instead, go to that private place internally where it's just you and God. Shut the distractions out there and don't worry about anything except God. You know, I love that uh, Korean Christians have this way of praying called Tong Sung Kido. And if any of you have ever experienced it, please come tell me the story afterwards. I've only gotten to experience it once in person, and it was remarkable. The, uh, the pastor or whoever the leader is at the front uh, shouts something out in Korean. I have no idea even what he said. And then everybody in the congregation starts yelling at the top of their lungs. They all put their arms out and start yelling their prayers. They start yelling super private things that they don't want shared. But here's the thing, everybody's yelling all together, right? And so nobody's shouts are discernible above any of the others. And they yell and they shout their prayers to God. And then at the end, the leader up at the front shouts something else in Korean. And all of a sudden it dies down. And at first, as a, as a good white American, I didn't know what to do. I was kind of uncomfortable shouting my own prayers. But in a minute, I got into it. And I I have to admit, there's something freeing about shouting your prayers with other people alone in your own room. <laughs> well, Jesus goes on to show us what to do next. He says, when you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this. Our father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. You recognize this? This is the Lord's prayer with a little different translation. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, Jesus goes on and he says the same thing about fasting. You know, when you're giving something up for a time, don't go around all whiny about it. <laughs> you know, if it's food you're giving up, don't go around all unshaven if you're a man or unkempt, like look how hungry I am. No, when you fast, keep yourself up. This is between you and God, not to show the world how holy you are. But what it really comes down to is what Jesus says at the end of this section. He says, stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them, and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them, and where thieves don't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't store up your treasures in this world. Instead, think about the things that are eternal. So what do you think? If you were talking to teenage Jeff, is it wrong to pray in church? Are we the salt that disappears into the meat? Or are we the light that shines into the world? I think it all comes down to intention. 
intention. We don't seek to be a lamp on a stand. We don't seek to be a city on a hill. We seek to be but salt. In prayer, we want only to be with God and nothing else and to follow where God leads. But God, because God is God, and because God is actively transforming the world around us, God always takes our prayer that we intend only for God and for the good of the world. God takes it and God's light shines into the world. Not our light. God's light shines through us and through our prayer. It's not our intention that's the city on the hill. It's not our intention that's the light It's God's intention that shines through us. And wouldn't it be a shame to put it under a basket, to use Jesus' words? It all comes down to that intention, our intention and God's intention. Prayer is the intention to spend time with God. And if your intention, whether you pray up here on behalf of the community or whether you pray in your own room. You know, this, this is our room too, right? This room, Spirit Hall, this is our room together. Whether we pray together in this room, whether we pray together in our own rooms in our nice houses, or whether we pray in this room, our hearts, and shut out the distractions of life and spend time with God. Well, that's a thing of great beauty, beauty. And I think God values it even more than we do. And through it, God's light really does shine into the world. So this week, I want you to try it. I want you to do it. You know, it's, it's difficult to have a pattern of prayer in your life every day. Many do it when they first wake up in the morning, some before bed. Some have a particular time of day. Uh, some set an alarm on their phone to remind them to pray. It's difficult to get in that kind of a rhythm. And if you're one that doesn't have it already, don't worry about praying every day. Just try it once this week. Go into your room whether that's a literal room, maybe it's your porch, maybe it's your sink when you're cleaning up after dinner, that's a wonderful place to pray. Maybe it's your favorite chair with your eyes closed, as long as you're not too sleepy. (laughs) Maybe it's on the playground with your children running every which way, but you take a moment to be still and to breathe deeply the holiness of the fall air. But sometime this week, Leave the distractions of life out there and be alone in this room with God, just you and God. Now, maybe that's enough right there, but it might also help to pray our Father who art in heaven. And if you need to look it up, that's fine too. Try it on your own this week. But let's do it now too, together. Close your eyes with me. I like to hold out my hand. Okay, you can open your eyes if you want to look. I like to hold out my hands like this. You know, there's a, I, I had somebody uh, lead a prayer once and he had us pray like this and then he had us pray like this and it's amazing how different it is. So maybe you want to hold your hands with your palms up. Okay, let's close our eyes. Hold your hands however is helpful to you and take a moment and notice the air that you're breathing. Nothing else. Only the air and God.
and we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.